Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Hi, uh, welcome back to another episode. Um, today, have a very good friend of mine who's uh, featured on the show today. Um, she's an old colleague and mentor and the star of the current oh. season of The Great Australian Bake Off. Laura Fu, welcome to the show. <laughs> it's excellent to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled and I've been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, us as well. Um, I felt like inevitably you were going to appear on the show at some point. So we're really happy to have you here. Um, but to kick us off, Tell us a bit about how you got interested in baking, cooking, and just food more broadly. Yeah. Well, food obviously is a really huge part of our culture. We've always grown up with food. Food's the love language that, you know, your parents and your grandparents definitely express themselves with. So food's always been a really big part of my life. Um, my grandmother was the matriarch of the family, so she was the the daisol, the, the wife of the oldest. <laughs> yeah. And so she was like cooking and baking and making all of these food for like 30, 40 people every week. And I learned a lot of stuff from her. So I credit my, that's my maternal grandma. So I credit her with giving my first look into the sort of food world and the baking world. Mm-hmm. So I've been baking for ages. Like, since I was a kid and I tell this a lot but I like was peeping over the bench um, watching my grandma make cakes and Lunar New Year treats and stuff mm-hmm. so it started really there and then made like cupcakes and cookies and all of that stuff when I was a kid and you know started exploring and then went into this little thing called lockdown and then went like <laughs> what can I do to like fill my time how can I kind of really go yeah um so I think I really sort of skilled up mm-hmm. um in lockdown and started experimenting with things that I'd never done before and just like gave it a go it's like oh I've got time yeah nothing to lose yeah no I remember during that lockdown period I did follow you around that time and just like every week there was something extra or we were on like yeah. a project together like <laughs> yeah. first thing in the morning it's just like oh I'm baking something I'm yeah. gonna go do this yeah exactly. um, so it was definitely a good use of time yeah. do you remember what the first thing your grandma taught you how to make um I don't remember the first thing but I remember the thing that came up a lot mm-hmm. was um her butter cake she mm. makes it's a really simple recipe it's super like super simple but really delicious and she would do like a walnut version or a banana version Yum. And it was a family favorite and she'd always have something like that in the house and then would cut it up and give it to people, mm, you know, mm. um, to serve, but also to take home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is the kind of strongest baking memory that I've got. And, of course, lots of the traditional things for Lunar New Year and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah. Actually, very quickly, um, I, I'm keen to hear kind of like your childhood experience of like baking in particular. Do you find that you were, and especially kind of growing up in Australia, did you find that you would find yourself drawn to cooking kind of your more traditional foods from your family and your culture or kind of as you developed you know and I guess assimilated so to speak into Australian yeah. Western culture was it kind of like this new introduction into like Western techniques and yeah. flavors like was that an interesting yeah. tension to grapple or were you yeah. kind of like oh like the more the better yeah it's a super interesting yeah. question because obviously as a Southeast Asian or a Singaporean like a, a jungle Asian as <laughs> Ali Wong calls it I love that term because I'm like right? I get it like I said so like it's great <laughs> Or well, like, they host for Olympics or they host yeah, diseases. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wait, so what? I, have you heard about this? 
<laughs> Ellie Wong makes um sorry digression. Yeah. Um, Ellie Wong makes this joke about Asian countries, and you have jungle jungle yeah. jungle Asians, jungle Asians, and Palace Asians. Yes. And Palace Asians are like you know countries like Japan. Taiwan, China, like very east, yeah. Yeah. That host Olympics. And then jungle Asians are um, (laughs) countries in mainly Southeast Asia that host disease. Anyway. The the folks are really tan, like in the rice paddies, like, you know, doing the hard work and like ex-pirates, like, you know, as as a Singaporean. like So as a jungle Asian, Uh baking's not – and proud, Mm. so proud. Mm. Baking isn't a thing, right? Like it – Baking or desserts yeah. are, um, you know, not too sweet desserts like tongso yeah. and like soupy things or like steamed things. And mm. those are the really traditional um, sort of techniques mm. and the traditional goodies that you have. Um, so kind of growing up in Melbourne and in Australia, you're seeing firstly an absolute birth of culinarily, yeah. you know, greatness yeah. in this city. We are so, so lucky. Um, but also having exposure to really traditional Aussie things. Like I used to work at a bakery when I was a kid mm. um, in high school and in uni, really traditional Aussie bakery, like lamingtons and pies and things that I'd never seen before or never tasted before that I'd like sort of like been around mm. like as a kid. Like the first time I had fairy bread, it like literally blew my mind. I was like, <laughs> what the heck is this? It's like the weirdest thing ever. It's like so good, but like crappy white bread, like tasteless non-butter and like hard sprinkles right you're like what is this and it's this this cultural icon so there was a very long roundabout way of saying my style is really a mix of the two and Mm. I love playing in that liminal space Mm. because that's how I that's what resonates with me that's my my version of quote-unquote authenticity is that in-between space of really traditional comfort food combos mm. that I grew up with, like pandan gula malaka, which is um, palm sugar mm. and coconut, you know, being the primary combo all the way through to really modern French techniques or like folks in Melbourne who are really pushing the boundaries on like patisserie and viennoiserie. Like there's so many, mm. um, you know, places around that are doing mm. incredible, incredible things mm. and incredible pastry chefs. And I love that space in between. It's something that I love the dichotomy of is yeah. like tradition and really modern technique and look. Incredible. That was so eloquent. Um, and I think a really great segue into our next question, um, which is the Great Australian Bake Off. Yeah. Um, so we've been tuning into this season of the Great Australian Bake Off and have been loving it so far. Oh, thank you. What made you decide to enter this cooking show and what were you hoping to achieve from it? Yeah. So I did it for fun. Actually, this was my second time auditioning. My first time was really like in the peak of lockdown when I had nothing better to do. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. Like, why not? <laughs> um, and I got really far down the casting line and just just didn't make it and the executive producer called and said like hey like please audition again we'd love to have you so I spent that year in between auditions like almost training for it I suppose Mm. I was like if I got on this show what would I want to be able to do or what would I be able to showcase what are sort of the skills and techniques that I would you know, need to kind of have a go at before I got on. And I sort of used it as an excuse really to like do fun and crazy things. So it was a little bit of me filling time in lockdown, but also wanting to just better my craft and go really, really deep. As you know, Jeff, I'm a type A personality. I do, (laughs) I don't do things by halves. So when I want to do something and I want to put my mind to it, I go really, really deep and really, really hard. So that was my, that was my kind of activity that would fill my time. And then I got on and it was like, oh crap, now I actually have to like do all these amazing things. Like, and the best part of it was that sort of ability to be creative within certain constraints of the show and the briefs that we got for the challenges. And that was definitely my favorite part. 
Yeah, love that. What was something that sort of surprised you when you started to go through the whole process and eventually start to film? And what was something that you sort of like expected and it was like there and I'm prepared for it? There's like keen to hear what those two things were for you. Yeah, okay. Um, Something that, you know, I expected going in was that time pressure of being in the shed. Um, Obviously, you have the breach that they give you and the challenges have like a time limit on them. So you kind of know what you're in for, but you really don't appreciate the stress and the pressure of all of the cameras and all of the lights and all of the producers asking you questions like, what are you doing now, Laura? I'm like (laughs) measuring out flour, like things like that, that take more time than than you anticipate. And that obviously is a big learning. Like you kind of know what's happening, but you don't really know the extent of the, of the pressure. And then something that really surprised me uh, was just how quickly we all became friends as the cast, which is kind of a little bit cliche and you hear it a lot. And, you know, when you watch reality TV shows Mm. for the first time and and someone goes home and and they're all crying and like, and you're like, you've known each other for like two seconds, calm Mm. down. But genuinely it was like, you spend so much time together. You're all bonded by something that you love doing, that you're really passionate about, that you're really, really good. Like you're all really good at in different ways and you become really fast friends. Yeah. So that was lovely. Surprising how deep those friendships have become Mm. for sure. Yeah, I saw you guys went out and got some treats recently. That was really cute. Yeah, one of our favorite things. There's lots of us in Melbourne from this season's cast, so we love going out and um, tasting loads of different things and critiquing them. <laughs> <laughs> hard, 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 hard craft, please, hard, but critiquing them with love, you know, yeah, like of course, of course. It's, and, and doing a little bit of research, you know, yeah. you got like, yeah, got to better yourself yeah. by tasting other people's goods. So yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how annoying is it when you are stressed out and then someone's just like over your shoulder, just like, hey, what's that? And yeah. they're like, oh, maybe I have a little taste of that. <laughs> and there's just no expressions. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, it's um. It's stressful more than it is annoying. Yeah. For sure. It's like, oh no, like, because I can't react, obviously. Yeah. Um, and when you've got people of the judges' caliber, Darren Purchase and Rachel Koo, like, they're mm. big guns, like, really. It was a big holy shit moment yeah. when I found out that they were the judges because mm. I was like, Darren's going to taste my food. Rachel Koo was going to taste my food. Like, I've, it sort of felt like I was putting myself on the line and, mm. like, sort of what I stand for and my type of food. And then, it was so nerve wracking at the start and you sort of ease into it a little bit, but every time you walk up to that judging, it's, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, and again, that's actually a perfect segue into the next question. Um, so it was obviously evident from the first episode with your signature Singapore sponge cake that you love to sort of incorporate your cultural heritage in your food mm. and almost put yourself onto a plate. Mm. Um, why do you sort of find yourself gravitating towards those flavors? And do you feel like it's important to represent who you are on plate? Yeah. Um, really great question. So my Singapore sponge, incidentally, was not how I named it, but it's a very market improvement on what I called my pandan sponge. Yeah. Very creatively. <laughs> I called it a pandan sponge. Oh. And they were like, let's rebrand it. Like, great, I'll go with that. <laughs> um, so it was a pandan sponge with coconut buttercream and gula malaka caramel, oh, which is yum. made with uh, palm sugar. Gula malaka is palm sugar. It was really important to me to represent my version of authenticity and my version of what I know um, and what I feel is true to myself. I really didn't want to be gimmicky at any point. I didn't want to be that Asian girl who did like stereotypical Asian things because she's Asian. Um, I wanted to represent the flavors that I love and the flavors that I know from my experiences and my memories and like my nostalgia and travels and stuff in a really authentic way that was true to me so that at the end of the day, I could look back and go, yeah, like that. 
it is something that I'm proud of and something that was true to me. So it was really important for me to not just represent my culture, but also my specific experiences, uh, a third culture kid, I suppose, that's sort of in between Western and and Eastern. Yeah. And I guess on that, like, I think that's like, there's like a side to another coin on that question where, you know, do you feel this undue pressure or that you're pigeonholed into kind of baking food that represented, you know, your cultural identity, which you're so proud of on the show? Um, I didn't feel pressure from casting or production or anything like that. I think production does a really good job of really diverse, like truly diverse casting that's representative of uh, you know, where we live and our society today. So definitely not externally. Did I feel pressure internally for myself? Yeah, a little bit because I wanted to do the best like that. Well, I wanted to do the best for me. I didn't necessarily go in to win. I didn't audition for a competition. I auditioned to go through this incredible creative process and learn and skill up. So it was important to me to do the best representation of myself as opposed to represent my entire culture. Mm -hmm. Of course, I had moments where I was like, shit, like I really need to put my best foot forward here because I'm the one that should know about these things, Mm, for example, because of my growth experience or my, you know, the way that I was brought up um, and like generally my heritage. Of course, I felt like that. I was really moved by the fact that I got to have that exposure and got to have that platform to be able to showcase some of those things. And it was never whitewashed in a mm. uh in a like gross way if there was anything on the show that was anglicized so you know turning asian phrases or asian names for things into things that you know the wider public yeah. would mm. be able to understand yeah. was i think done for that purpose yeah. for them to understand and for them like to ex- learn accessibility. more yeah. accessibility exactly yeah. that's exactly the yeah. word yeah. yeah as opposed to it being whitewashed mm. for the sake of being mm. whitewashed mm. so i felt really comfortable like, yeah. you know, putting that out there. I, I knew going in that I was using ingredients that were best expressed in Malay or in mm. um, Chinese or in Cantonese or, yeah. you know, whatever. And I made a deliberate choice to say those things in those languages mm. without um, changing my accent mm. or changing the way that I pronounce things yeah. to make it sort of more palatable. Like yeah. I made a deliberate choice to do that. And yeah. I'm really moved that production kept those those choices in. Oh, absolutely. And I think it also just... um. I mean, I guess more on a superficial note, like I feel like there's this wave of like Asian desserts that have popped up in Melbourne yeah, recently. Like, totally, and, yes. you know, And places that kind of like retain their original name, like yeah. shout out to Vecu Gelato. But, you know, you yeah. have things like Chendol and like Tateric yes. and um, yes. it eludes me now. Like even Milo Dinosaur, you know, just yeah. very like specific. Oh, my gosh. I have a story to tell about Asian Milo things, right? Yeah, Whereas, totally. Like, if, you get, if you know, you know. Yeah, if you know, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I, I just love that this is wave of Asian desserts that's so unapologetic and it's so yeah. like cool, like – we're, we're taking up the space and yeah. people love it. And I think totally. that reception, I think is to me is like a validation of like, you know, owning that heritage totally. and owning that culture and not, you know, needing to be palatable to yeah. wide audiences about it. Or clearly, dumb it down. That's right. Because yeah. there's a market for it, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I'm loving that sort of wave as well. I think it's really interesting. I'm also learning lots through that of other Asian cultures that are not just Southeast Asian or not just like, you know, traditional like Hong Kong where it's kind of more proliferated and, and a bit more available. So I'm loving that that's happening in the food scene and like I think we should lean right in. Mm-hmm. i got to hear this Milo dinosaur story that you just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know what a Milo dinosaur is, it's a Hawker classic, which is like a, a massive, it's like a pint glass almost. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Huge of Milo with condensed milk traditionally 
poured over ice or evaporated milk poured over ice and then you just heap on like a bunch of like I don't even like there's no there's no expression for the measurement of how much no. Milo then gets heaped on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if you know that the ultimate version of that is actually called the Milo Godzilla. No. Oh, no. So in some hawker centers, there's a thing called a Milo Godzilla, which is the dinosaur like plus, 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 plus. <laughs> What's on it? So sometimes there'll be ice cream in it. Sometimes Ooh. there'll be whipped cream on it, but it's always like half a tin of Milo. It's like ins- it's like crazy, right? Yeah. And the thing with um, Milo that you get in Singapore and in Malaysia, it's made in Malaysia and it tastes really different to Australian mm, Milo. This is true. And I have family members who ask us to bring back Australian Milo for them because it just tastes so good or like malty and rich. Like it's just something about the milk solids or something. So this the first time I ever had a Milo dinosaur, I accidentally inhaled oh, as I was sipping and it was a disaster. Well, it was not a disaster because I got kind of like got a snort Milo, but it was like – it was it was not the intended way of, of consuming it, but I appreciated it anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, it's the cool precursor memory. to the um the cinnamon challenge. Exactly. <laughs> remember, what, remember when that was a thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little like still on the same spectrum of like pain, but also delight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good experience and you'll never forget that food. No. For sure. Um, I think one thing that's sort of moved in and out of this whole conversation is, I guess, the idea of, I guess, why you wanted to go on the show and what mm. you wanted to get out of it. Mm. Um, and something that we explore a lot in this show, uh, I guess, like particularly for Asian people, there's a certain pressure to obviously conform to certain careers. Yeah. And obviously you have <laughs> conformed to one of those careers yes, if you've gone into consulting. And, <laughs> yep. and I think, you know, in the topic of hobbies versus careers, we're keen to get your take essentially, like after competing mm. on the show, do you feel this is something that you would pursue as a career or does it sort of still stay in that hobby zone for you? Oh, I would love it to be a career. Yeah. I, would, I would love that. I would love to have those opportunities to share more of my stories and more of my food with others. I, I would absolutely love that. It's really funny because when I was really, really young, I asked my dad to buy me a cookbook. It was one of those like, I don't know, Women's Weekly, mm. party food for teens, like one of those like, you know, kind of cliche gross ones. And he bought it for me and he wrote in the front, dear Laura, I hope you like what something, something like some pleasantries. And he said, I hope you continue cooking dash as a hobby. And I <laughs> like, I just found that like at the time I read it and I was like, oh, like eye roll, like classic. And now I look back on it and like have a bit of a chuckle, right? Because it's like so classic. Yeah. Asian family that, you know, you've got to make a career out of yourself that's stable and that, you know, is going to be dependable and secure. And it's like, well, I'm playing with the idea of doing both at the moment. Like mm. what does what does a career out of passion look like um, and can that sustain me in like part of my lifestyle? Sure, that would be great, mm. right? But in, in the case that it doesn't, like what? how can I play both sides? Um, so, yes, is the short answer to, <laughs> to your question. I'd love for it to be an opportunity, but let's see what happens. Yeah, I guess like now what you're kind of seeing is a lot of people, like side hustles are becoming just increasingly yeah. more popular yep. and people will turn the side hustle if it starts to get a bit successful mm. into the full-time job, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of supermarket products uh, yep. are sort of a testament to that. There's like Umami Papi. I'm pretty sure that guy worked at like EY previously. Yeah. Um, there's like Bippy, like the sort of Calabrian yep. chili paste. I went to uni with that guy actually. Oh, cool. Um, so now oh. that's a full-time job. So yeah. there are definitely options out there and it seems like a viable path. Like, do you see yourself doing something like that? I know you do like the little bake boxes sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah. 
Yeah, um, there's loads of paths in yeah. food. I feel like in food reality, especially like all the MasterChef guys, obviously all they want are like media opportunities mm. and they do TV shows and travel shows. And like, would I love that? Ooh, of would course you? I would. That'd be fun. Like, yeah. are you kidding? Like traveling places and eating like, yeah, yeah I'd love yeah. that. But it's really saturated market, right? Yeah. Like, so there's, there's the media route. There's the sort of production route like you've just described where you're selling products in stores or you're wholesaling products. There's, you know, things that you could do like just on social media or just on social media. It's a shit ton of work and it, like some of those people the creators on there are incredible so talented but that's a super viable option too like um i don't know yet which mm. route i kind of want to go down i'd love to do tv i'd love to do radio i'd love to do you know anything in the kind of the media space i'd love to have a book eventually like mm. I, I don't know like loads of things right but um for me the big one is i want to get food to the people mm. and i want to i want to make people happy through the taste buds and the stomach, that's always been my thing. That's the reason why I do it because it makes me happy. It makes other people happy yeah. as well. Um, so I'm playing around with loads of ideas of like how do I can bring that to life. I love that. Well, you were such a natural from the camera. I think that was the thing that oh, I always you. knew you were super well-spoken because obviously we work <laughs> together. But then I think the first episode I watched was like, the, the, you kept getting like popped on <laughs> on the B-rolls and like, the, like small like – anecdotes here and that was like natural from the camera so i think you've definitely got a bright career <laughs> thank there thank you uh, that's that's really kind it's lovely when people say like oh you're so natural in front of the camera like one of my um friend said to me the other day she goes like it's so funny how you on camera is exactly you in real life <laughs> love that I'm like believe me when you're under that much stress and pressure and you are tired yeah. you cannot pretend yeah, yeah. Like, it's yeah. just like this is it. There's no, I'm not that, yeah, yeah, I'm not that talented enough to like act a certain way. I just can't, I wouldn't be able to put it on. So yeah. thank you. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, uh, before we get to the last question, I'm keen to hear what was your sort of favorite bake on the show and then what, which one was the most stressful? Okay. The most stressful one was beef Wellington for sure. It's a technical challenge. So we found out on the day, like I think what people don't get on for the technical challenges on the show is we do not know at all what those things are going to be ever. First time we hear about it is when Cal and Natalie tell us what it is. We don't see it. We don't know what it tastes like. If it's a made up thing, it's a made up thing and we've just got to go with it. We, like we don't know, genuinely don't know. So that day when they said, today the technical challenge is Beef Wellington, all of those reactions that you saw were 100% genuine. We were terrified, shocked, in disbelief. Um, I was crying on the inside because I was like, that is the one thing I do not want to do right now is make a freaking beef. Wait, wait, why is it so hard? Like just oh. fully uninitiated. Why yeah. is a beef Wellington yeah, so hard? Like, why, is it, why does it evoke so much stress? <laughs> Jeff's looking off into the distance <laughs> like in fear. That was how I felt as well. You want to nail the cooking of the beef. Mm. It's wrapped in pastry, which you've got to nail as well because mm. it's a textural thing. So you have to have like crispy puff pastry, perfectly rare beef in the middle. It's got to be wrapped in. Um, we did mushroom duck cell on the show. Like traditionally, obviously, there's a layer of crepe and, and spinach and stuff. And obviously, they took some of that out for simplicity. Mm. LOL. Simplicity. simplicity. Exactly. Um so it's difficult because it's like technically it's a really mm. difficult dish to execute. And then when you're under time pressure, yeah. I think I think it was three hours from memory. Three hours, make a full puff pastry, cook a beef wellington, perfectly rare. And yeah. you don't know what it's going to be like until you like truly cut into it oh. and see that dissection. Mm. Um, that was terrifying. So that was my <laughs> – that was my um, – 
I still have a bit of trauma from it. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. Don't know if you can tell. Um, it was good because it pushed me to actually like try it for the first yeah. time. Would I ever make a beef long again? No. But um, I appreciated the opportunity to do it. Um, so I have a couple of favourite bakes. The one where I got to make my grandmother's pineapple tarts oh. from Lunar oh, New Year, that was so pretty good. special. Yeah. Um, that was amazing. I was very emotional that day. Oh. And it was very emotional that day because it happened to be my mom's birthday and I was making my grandmother's pineapple tarts and I'd just come off like a pretty crap week and I walked into that shed being like, you know what, I don't care if they don't like it. Like I know mm. this is good and I know there was a different sort of mindset and a different sort of level of confidence. It was not something that I was nervous about because I'd done it a thousand times before. I'd had sort of the power of like my maternal yeah. culinary ancestors yeah, with me, I suppose. Absolutely. I just felt really, yeah, really like powerful. So that, so that was really that was really special, really, really cool. And then I think my um, showstopper, the macaron stack was mm. was pretty epic as well because I love making macarons. It was, I think, an adventurous flavor combination for me personally. So it was burnt honey and blackberry in the macaron stack. That was really fun. I was like pushing myself. I knew that it was going to be, it was going to be tasty. And then I just had fun with it. And that was probably one of my other favorite bakes. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, last question, but not least, what's your death row meal? Like I know, I think oh. just with, a conversation, yeah. and I guess, like your passion for baking, and I mm. guess this, I guess I love how you use this term liminal space between yeah. the east and the west. That's so cliche, and then like you know, yeah, the, the phrase of yeah. east and west is so cliche. Yes. But I love how you occupy that space yeah. in, in your food. Um, what would be kind of the last meal you'd have on earth? So this is like a very distressing question. <laughs> oh, sure. it's, it's, this is a question, by <laughs> the way. It's so, it's so, question. It's so <laughs> stressful. Um, the thing that came to mind immediately was. My mom makes this like home style chicken stew thing with like it's in like a soy saucy brothy situation that's not quite a master stock. It's not as spicy as a master stock, but it's much simpler, but it has that sort of balance of salty and a little bit sweet, a little bit sticky and mm. um, the really like tender brown meat from the chicken because chicken thighs for life mm. and <laughs> like sweet carrots and potatoes like in it's really simple, like super simple home meal with white rice, like just a mountain of white rice and like some veg on the side I think is my happiest home Aww. meal. Yeah. So I'd probably pick that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think I would go a tiramisu for dessert because I can't <laughs> not do a tiramisu for dessert. Oh, nice. I like that you also added a dessert there as well because I feel yeah. like sometimes people just think about it in just the one meal. Oh, no, I want like a multi-course like – if it's my death row meal, yeah, it's yeah, like you got to go nuts, it, yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. 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 So tiramisu oh, would be my I dessert. Love that. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. mine. Oh, oh, oh my God. I didn't prepare for this. Um, I think honestly, cliche as it is, I probably would be something from home. Yeah. Something that reminds yeah. me of home. It's probably my mum's bung bo hue. Um, yeah. Classic oh. BBH situation love with that. dipping bread on the side. Um, and then for dessert – Oh, I'm a sucker for chocolate ice cream. Wendy's chocolate ice cream. Wendy's. Wendy's that was curveball. That was a curveball. Yeah. I respect um, it. I respect it. It was. I just. I used to always when I was a kid because mm. my parents. Um. They they do retail, so every time they're taking me to the stores with them, I would always have a scoop of chocolate ice cream from Wendy's and then go to Angus and Robertson and read books there. Um, so that to me is like a very cool memory and that's so cute. probably oh, the last meal I have on earth. What about you, Jeff? I love that. Um, fun fact, uh, dad almost 
uh, bought a Wendy's oh, uh, as uh, a franchisee. Wow. Um, and after his trial shift for a week, they were like, we don't think you're the right fit. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was so bad at scooping ice cream. Oh, no. Um, but I remember that week was like one of the best weeks of my life because I was a really fat kid, right? <laughs> and so I'll go visit him and he'd be like, do you want, because they used to have those um, super mega thick shakes. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. remember those? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And it was yeah. like a gut bomb. Yep. It was like so five good. scoops of ice cream yep. and the tiniest bit of milk and just covered in chocolate. Yep. So that was a fun fact. <laughs> then I would have one of those every day when he was yep. in his trial week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That was in the era before all of us developed lactose intolerances. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, because, like, I loved milkshakes when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember, like, I was like, no problem. I'm now, if okay. I have a milkshake, I would be on the fl- I would be horizontal. Like, I would need a stretcher. It would be bad. It would be really bad. So, I'm actually yeah. okay on the lactose intolerance front. You can drink a straight-up milkshake? Yeah. I'm jealous. For sure. I, I do eat a lot of dairy, though, mm. granted. Mm. So my whole theory, this is, this is not medical advice for people at home. <laughs> um, I felt like for a period of time, I was starting to develop lactose intolerance. So I just ate a lot of yogurt. <laughs> I was just like, the you only just way. just all the way in. Yeah. I just need like prebiotics. I need to put the bacteria yeah, in my true. gut it's to true. actually break down yeah. the lactose. And then I'm fine now. So not medical yeah. advice, but try it at home. <laughs> <laughs> My okay, my death row meal will probably be sushi. Um, yeah, that was my second option. Yeah, that was a, that was it's a just, there's something about just the the omakase experience, just sitting there. And I love dining in silence. I, I love, I love. Mate, that is the bougiest death row. I'm like, you're like on death row. You're like, um, can I have an omakase experience, please? But you, you, know, you drag brilliant. it out. Yeah, you drag it out. You sort of take your time a little bit more. It lets you to like reflect on your final moments a little bit. And you eat some good food. Uh, and it's just in silence. I don't really need too much noise. Um, and then from a dessert. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not a sweet tooth, yeah. though. You know, I've actually developed a sweet tooth. Oh. I think I told you That's this. You? Yeah. Oh, really? After my first fight last year, because I think I deprived my body of so many carbs, oh. I, I developed a sweet mm. tooth. So now I kind of like eat sweet things a lot more than I used to. Uh, I think maybe like a matcha parfait mm. would be really good because it's kind of it's got a bit of everything in it. But. I would remove the jelly layer and add a more soft serve. Can you the- can you can we break down the layers of the matcha yeah, parfait? Yeah, so normally um, the parfait is kind of jelly on the bottom. Sorry, also you just dropped like I'll have a matcha parfait as if that is a normal thing that people have. Like it's not like I need a I need a bit of breakdown, Jeff. I think um, I think one thing that you're saying is that um, everyone else is really sentimental, and I was like, I want something really expensive, <laughs> and then something also kind of bougie for dessert. So. Okay, breakdown for me, I would go soft serve on the bottom, which is normally jelly, which is my least favorite layer. And then okay. I do like the sponge cake that they usually put. Mm-hmm. And then usually there's- Who's little- they? Who's they usually? Just, Where- just, you know when you go to like, kind of like an Asian dessert cafe, they're like parfaits. Oh, go to like, okay. Yeah, sure. you go to Japan like, and stuff, yeah, they right. have like these fancy okay. parfaits and okay, stuff. Okay, and so okay. there's like a layer of cake, there's a layer of cream, usually not a layer of cake. Yep. And then soft serve. And usually there's like a bit of like red bean paste, mm, and a few mochi. A classic. And maybe they'll stick like a wafer in it. Chocolate wafer? Yeah. Got to be a chocolate wafer. Chocolate wafer. wafer. Sometimes they do Pocky, but I prefer the wafer. Oh, Pocky would be also elite. Yeah. And so it's just like discovery, you know, as you go tip. And sometimes (laughs) if you don't get the see-through glass, you don't know what's in it. Yeah. And do you you like, you don't like that though? 
No, I do like that. Oh, yeah. oh, you like the surprise. I like the surprise. Okay, it's another element to the dish. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think surprise in food is so good. You look at something. It's true. And yeah. you taste it and you like yeah. it. You go in expecting something and it's just something yeah. completely different. And like, I think that's one of the best things. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. The element of surprise is underrated, I yeah. think, in, in food. Yeah, 100%. So that, that is my death row meal, I think, at, at the moment. If you ask us again in the next, like, I don't know, a couple months, it might change. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very mood based. Oh, for to sure. be fair, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have one final question actually yeah. before we wrap up. What was it like working with Haley Tran? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, I know. I know for a fact she's not going to listen to this. Do you know why? She's the least connected internet person I've ever met. Right. Like I love her deeply. She's yeah. great. I was the only one on cast who knew who she was. What? Be- yeah, well, wow. I mean, if you look at the makeup of our cast, like yeah. no one's really yeah. gonna like, right? Yeah, like okay. all of the other yeah. bakers were like, who, who? Yeah. Like Reem is too young, yeah. to have been in that like YouTube yeah. era, yeah. and all of the other folks were a little bit older, like yeah. so not quite like I was squarely in like the generation mm. that grew up yeah. with Community Channel, right? Yeah. So when that was announced, I freaked yeah. out. I was like, this is unreal. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, even. <laughs> ha ha. You're welcome, Natalie. Um, it was great. It was like, like this is not real. It's yeah. not real. Um, she's lovely. Like the most incredible, humble, very kind, like super mm. considerate person. She had no airs about her whatsoever. Um, really, really down to earth, and looked after us like she. It was freezing on those nights that we filmed. The, the days would go for ages, ages, and the nights were super cold and the shed is all open. There's, like, big open doors everywhere. It's, like, in the outdoors. Like, we're mm. in the middle of a paddock. Like, it's cold. So she would – one of the very first nights she got us all, like, hand warmers mm. and wow. she'd, like, warm them up, like, an hour before she knew that we were going to need them Aww. and personally gave us That's all, so like, two sweet. or three to, like, hide in our aprons or to, like – put in our pockets or whatever like she would she does not have to do that she's capital t talent yeah. like there are other people on production yeah. who could do that but she was like no 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 this is like i've got to do this because i am freezing the bakers must be so cold because we're all in like little t-shirts and like our prints yeah. um so yeah she like that Aww. is like just so she's so lovely yeah just the best oh i feel like that just validates like all my feelings towards it and yeah, yeah totally. things, but it's so nice to Feel as if like people you like watched as you when you were a yeah. kid and your idols yeah. actually are yeah. really good people. So. Yes, and I really tried very hard not to fangirl. Yeah. Um, but I did ask her about Lamingtons. Yeah. And she was like, I've given the people the Lamington recipe. And I was like, Have you? Have you? I don't know. I'm, I'm still waiting. The internet is yeah. still waiting. Um, no, she's great. Yeah. Love her. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much, Laura. Like, I think your energy and your zeal and your just brightness and passion for food is so infectious. Thank and you. It's been such a delight having you on and hearing all about your experience. And thank you. Wish you all the best for your future. Thanks so much. Endeavors. Looking forward so much to kind of like thank you. seeing you shine, honestly. So, thank oh, you so much thanks. Again. Thank yeah. you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. And I love what you guys do for the community. So, keep on keeping on. Thank you so much. Thank you. thank you. And if you guys like this episode, make sure you give us a five stars on Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Bye. Is that right? Cool. Yay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>